Welcome to Consider This Question. This is a second in a two-part conversation about violence in the Bible. It was recorded on Tuesday, December the 15th. Enjoy. Welcome to uh, part two of this podcast on uh, does the violence in the in the Bible uh, cast any kind of doubt or question upon God's loving character? And uh, essentially, here's what happened. We walk out of the studio, and Drew, who is uh, a chronic overthinker, um, quickly grabs uh, Ryan Vincent, and I am excluded from the conversation. <laughs> they spend about three hours, uh, Ryan mostly, uh, trying to console Drew uh, for his failure to really answer the question. So we're back in the studio, and that is, uh, here's the great part. That is more true than Drew would ever admit. Ryan would admit to it freely. <laughs> we are we are going to talk about grandiose hyperbole here in a second. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not yet. We haven't done that yet. Um, but I'll I'll tell you when you guys told me when you came to me and, and described to me the meeting I was excluded from intentionally. Um, I really thought. You know, I thought you were right on. I really did. I thought, yeah, we we, we could probably even spend tons of time, uh, even more than these two podcasts. And we're not even going to run this one as long as we did last, uh, the last one. But um, let, let's just jump straight into it. Uh, one of the questions that uh, you guys were really kind of thinking through is to maybe um, where we failed was giving like a specific answer to some of the big specific issues regarding uh, this question. So we dealt with it at a high level, but, yeah. but specifically what's going on. And so, Ryan, I want to begin with you, and I want to ask you regarding um, regarding the Canaanite conquest, which we, uh, we want to, we, we can see all throughout the book of Joshua. Um, tell me uh, how we can better explain uh, God's character and God's plan and God's purpose um, particularly Joshua, I think six through eight, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of gives us a, a snapshot of one encounter um, with God, with His people, and how they need to treat the Battle of Jericho, the Battle of Ai, yep. that stuff. So, tell me what's going on there, and how do we need to understand who God is and what what God can do, and yeah, what God is doing there. Well, first let's let's kind of revisit what were our concerns with, you know, God commands Joshua to go take Jericho, and, and really, the command is literally leave nothing. Don't take for yourself any spoils. Just burn everything if it's a material thing, and if it's a breathing thing, kill it. That's kind of, and, and, and so kind of, what is, our, what is our concern when we come to passages like this? Yep. And, I, and I really think it's, A, God seems bloodthirsty. He seems as if... Um, he seems as if arbitrary, he, arbitrary to yep. some degree. Like yep. We don't have a lot of records of that happening everywhere else. Yep. Um, and, and we also see when he says kill everything, there's, there's even included in the list, like women and children too. And by the way, if you see one of their animals, take it out. Like don't, don't leave anything. And it just seems angry and bloodthirsty. And it doesn't seem to line up with, it seems more like a malevolent God than a benevolent God. Yep. He's very, very angry. Yep. And I think that um, this is this is one of the first places that people come when they want to undermine our our claim that God is loving in the, in the Bible all throughout, and He's consistently loving. And um, I think that there's a number of areas in this in these three passages that we we simply misunderstand in many ways because of chronological distance. We're just you know what are we thirty five hundred years after the fact? Yep. 
um, cultural differences, and we, we, we've never lived in the ancient Near East, so we don't know what it's like to live in a culture that's tribal, where warfare is common, where like the sight of blood and gore is not so distant, whereas now it's like, I can live my entire life without seeing a murder. I likely yep. will. Yep. And that's really not the case in the ancient Near East. Yep. So there's, there's a couple of things that I want to clear up, and I want to answer three major uh, questions or give an example of how I would respond to three major objections. And the first is that the Canaanites were innocent, yep. that God violated some group of human beings by sending in his favorite people, the people that he's taking care of, and says, there's this group of people. They've done nothing wrong other than the fact that they're sitting on a piece of property that I'd like you to have. Go take them out and just burn everything. Yep. Take the place for yourself. And I think that this is, that's a, just a gross mischaracterization of the, the, the nation. Of uh, Well, Canaan was a group of nations, but the, the Bible doesn't speak of them as if they are simply innocent. The Bible speaks of no one as if they're innocent. But it, it speaks of the people in the land of Cana as if they are exceedingly wicked. And on top of that, that God was excessively, extravagantly patient with them. So we go back to Genesis 15, which we talked about in the last episode. Um, that God told Abraham, like, I'm, I'm not going to do this for a while. 400, over 400 years, 430 years. That's how long I'm going to be patient with them. And I was kind of on my computer this morning trying to get a frame of reference for how long that is. That would have been like the Puritans in the 1620s showing up in North America. And God sends a prophet their direction and says, hey, there's going to be some problems going on, but I'm not going to deal with it. For 400, and, and we're just now seeing, he's like, I'm, I'm going to punish king, the, the king of England for what he did to you guys. But don't worry, I'm not going to do it until like 2000 something. So just trust me on this. And we realized, wow, the Puritans came here in the 1620s and we're now in the 2000s. He's just now, he's going to go after Prince Henry. Yep. Oh, really, that's how patient God is. And it kind of helps us to, to think about chronology that way. So um, there was, God was incredibly patient. They were exceedingly wicked. The, a lot of the purity laws in Leviticus are written in reference to the evil in the land of Canaan. We don't, we don't realize that oftentimes, but a lot of what he's telling them, you are not to um, commit uh, like ritual adultery. He's talking about temple prostitution. You're not to commit bestiality. He's talking about another form of worship in Canaan. You're not to sacrifice your children. He gives all these commands to the Israelites, and we think, wow, that's an isolated set of probably good commands. Those, those, those sound nice, but he's giving them in reference to, because when you go into the land of Cana... This is what you're going to see. This is what, this is what yeah. I don't want their sick religions to infect you guys with. So I'm going to give you prohibitions. Like I'm going to let you practice for 40 years not yeah. doing this. Yeah. Which also even makes sense of those kind of random arbitrary laws. Don't trim the sides of your beards Beard. and don't tattoo get tattoos your and stuff. Yes. Those are acts of um, worship of the dead. And things like that, and so those things that are seem like random to us, yep. they are a, they are a, uh, whatever you want to say, a polarity to how the Canaanites were already operating. Yes, so, yes, so. and so in in many ways the Bible paints them as evil, and so not only are, is there like sexual deviancy, they are described as being excessively bloodthirsty and violent people. This is not a peaceful people. These are people that should they see a group of ragtag slaves coming out of the desert. We'll take every opportunity to squash them and plunder their goods. Yep. These are warring tribal nations. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject something here. Um, they would respond back, and I don't even know if we need to answer this, but I just want to kind of, I think this is a good place to, to use this. They would respond back, but should we return violence with violence? 
Sure. Should, you know, should we return, you know, if that's the way that they are, does that mean that, does that give us the right to, now I know you're dealing with a divine, it's yeah. a divine order. And yes. so that's something that is fundamental to remember. Um, but you know, that's where people come along and say, well, I know, okay, fine. They were bad, but we were just as bad. Yes. The Israelites were just as bad. The people of God were just as bad. And so I think that's, you know, something to at least be aware of yeah. in terms of, you know, as we're talking about this or having these very real conversations or even thoughts in your own head. Um, I thought we were supposed to turn the other cheek, yeah. but I don't answer that one now. I hope I didn't just mess that up. Nope. nope. Um, but you actually bring up a really good point. There is Israel gets in trouble for going to war without divine sanction oh. quite a bit. Um, Kings are not given the green light. David is, is chastised by God is, is, is uh, called to Matt to repent because he chose to like have a standing army. And so that he could go to war in the spring like the Whenever kings do. he wanted. Yep. And, and the, the Old Testament reads as if like Israel, as God's chosen people, was only to go to war when a prophet rose up and told them to, speaking on the behalf of God. God. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's never a sense where God approves of them fighting without the divine sanction. So we don't even have a test case for his acceptance That's of, good. Um, well, someone fought against me and I had to just fight in like my own self-defense. God would God would have acted if that were the case and, and prompted them to fight. Um, the Canaanites, in terms of one, one last point on whether or not they were innocent, which I think they clearly weren't. Um, they are described as having, and you can go all the way to Romans 1 if you want to go that far, but they were described as having gone against their God-given conscience. It's not as if they were unaware. It's not as if we can say, well, you get a pass because you guys grew up in Canaan. You never knew Yahweh, the true God. You had Molech and Asherah, so you just followed what you knew. You, you worked with the revelation that you had, and the Bible actually says that no, you, they had, like, they went against their conscience, and that's why God punished. We even have people that didn't have the revelation that Israel did that would repent and, I mean, Rahab's a great example of sure. someone who was given um, who was given grace to kind of survive the conquest because she responded to the true God. And then I, I love, and I'm, I won't read it, but I would encourage people to go read chapters one and two of the Book of Amos. This is a list, the laundry list of the nations in Cana and God's problem with them. And He's saying like, you had opportunities to repent, and because you didn't, I'm going to punish you. And then as you move your way through the minor prophets, he also says, and I'm going to also extend grace. I'm going to include you in the, na- in the people of God. I'm going to make for, my, for, for Abraham a great name that is like... Includes the nations. Includes the nations. Yep. And so like, the Canaanites, though they were judged for their wickedness, are also one day like counted among those who are being reconciled to God. And it's a very fascinating thing. So they weren't innocent. No one was. But they were excessively wicked, and therefore God was purging the land of them. The second question or the second al- uh, accusation or allegation that we often hear with this, um, with this Joshua 6, 7, and 8 is, was this just God being Hitler a long time beforehand? Was this a genocide? Was he just killing, like removing people groups because he didn't want them there because he wanted his Hebrew stock to now take over the land? And I think that that is a, that is a caricature of what, the, like again, I don't think you get that from reading the text because the text doesn't make racial issues or ethnic issues of the conquest. Yeah, no, we read that into it. We do, and so we think, wow, Hitler, like he he wanted to get rid of Jews and Gypsies and all these people and Poles and okay, is that how God operated? No, he wasn't just going after people that were Canaanite by blood, which was a kind of a amalgam of many nations. He was eradicating their sin. He was eradicating false religions. That's what he was going after. 
And there were plenty of opportunities to repent along the way. So it's, it, I think to, to call it ethnic cleansing because of racial hatred is just uh, foolish and, and probably inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. I think altogether. The evidence isn't there. It's not. And so we should, we should avoid like um, making these glib comparisons between God and Hitler or God and then the Rwanda genocide of the 1990s. Like those are just inappropriate comparisons. Sure. There's uh, all you have in common is that people died. Well, welcome to all of human history. Yep. That is not there. It's not the same thing. So sure. Sure. I think it's really, really important that we do that. The final one um, that I think we need to deal with is, and this is the one that bothers people. I think this is really the one that really gets people wound up about these three chapters. Why did they need to kill the women and the children as well? Basically, the innocent noncombatants. Why does God need to get rid of them? And if he does, is it, going back, is it ethnic cleansing? Like, is he trying to destroy a race? Um, and here's the text that they use. I mean, and this, they're taking it from Joshua himself. So I don't know what, we've got to deal with this. But he says, you know, in chapter 6, verse 20 of the book of Joshua, he talks about what happened. They blew the trumpets and the walls came down and they go in. In chapter 6, 21, they say, they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Took out everybody. Doesn't matter if they're, if you have a cane that looks enough like a sword, I'm going to run you through as well. If you're an infant, I'm going to take care of you. This is how Joshua talked. This is Joshua describing what happened. And, and I think it grates against, I won't even say our modern, our modern sensibilities. It grates against like our human sensibilities. Yeah, yes. human sensibilities. Yeah. That's good. I don't even think this is a matter of historical distance. I think this is a human thing. Like you don't kill innocent non-combatants. And I would actually say, I don't know that Joshua did. And, and you might call me crazy because that's what he said he did. But there's enough evidence to say that is that he's speaking in a certain way where he's using language that is figurative. Like we, we got to kind of the grandiose hyperbole. I think this is what Joshua is doing. Now, I don't think that it's beyond God's ability, prerogative, and right to ask Joshua to do something like that. But um, we have to keep in mind that cities like Jericho and Ai, we often believe they are a lot like modern New York and Chicago, that they're just major metropolitan areas with a large civilian population. And that's just not true. One of the biggest allegations that people that want to undermine the Old Testament narrative, like Bible critics, they'll say, if these conquests are true, how come we can't find like mass graveyards of all these corpses? And I would say, what if not as many people died as you think? What if it wasn't an entire city of civilians? What if, like almost all archeological evidence supports, Jericho and AI were actually military outposts. They were basically military bases with small standing armies, or, or I mean, a relatively large army in the ancient world. Um, there, there's, if they look at the archaeological evidence, pottery and inscriptions and all this stuff, Jericho, uh, you pointed this out, Drew. Well, how did they march around the whole city seven times in a day? Were they just booking it, or was it, is it smaller than we think? And most estimates would say that Jericho had about the space for 100 inhabitants, mm. which sounds about like an army to me. And it's not pos positioned in a place where like the, the land was fertile and you could support a population. It's actually on a travel route between the Jordan Valley and like the, high, like, like the highlands where the people were in their little cities and villages. It was a place for military men to protect the region. So no wonder this is where they attacked. And I would say, if that's true, I don't see the, I mean, you can talk about issues of just war or unjust wars, but you have an army going up against another army. 
And so we don't have really, I believe, the situation where they're just slaughtering children willy-nilly. I think they are going after combatants and political leaders as a way of conquering the nation. It would be like if, if Texas wanted to invade Oklahoma, which they might. If they wanted to invade, invade Oklahoma, the population centers, Tulsa and Oklahoma City, but they would go through Fort Sill. They would go to the military base in Lawton. That's how you would do this. And that's, I think, what the nation of Israel did. Because actually they're never commanded to just, like, destroy everyone. They're asked to dispel the people, to dispossess them of the land, to basically push them out. And you can only do that if you get rid of the army first. So and I think you would that, say that the every <laughs> destroy every man, woman, child, young and old, da, 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 is, is, from what I've read, almost just kind of a common phraseology for saying everyone that's yes. there. It's a so way of whether, saying everybody in that city. Yeah. I mean, yeah. think of a locker room talk. OSU just had a great win over OU wrestling last week. I imagine in that locker room they're talking about, oh, we killed them, we slaughtered them, we mopped the floor with them. Well, which one of those is a lie? Because I don't think any of them are lies, per se. I think that they're hyperbole. It's locker room speak. It's military speak. It's you speak with bravado. Like, we took care of everything. There was nothing that escaped our fury. And the truth is, Rahab got out. We know that much. The, the, like, these people groups, Joshua will say later on in Joshua 10, he'll have another similar line where he says, we just we destroyed everything. Nothing was left that was breathing. And then just a chapter later, he's talking about, and we still had to, we still had these people we got to deal with. We destroyed them all, and they're still here. Which one is it? I think one is just kind of the military bravado. Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot more I want to say about um, that, and I think this, I'll, I'll end here, and then we can go to the next question. I thought this was really interesting in Deuteronomy 7. Um... God giving kind of instructions while they're still in the wilderness. So this is the second reading of the law. Giving the instructions of what you guys are going to do when you get to the land of Canaan. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 7. Um, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you're entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations that are greater and stronger than you, and when Yahweh your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. He tells them, you will utterly destroy them. You will make no covenants with them and show no favor to them. Okay, so like we see God is commanding, don't leave anybody behind. This is, what he, this is the very, very next verse. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. Wait, what? You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, which they did. Then the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you, which he did. And thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and, their, and hew down their ashram and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people to Yahweh your God, and Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He is not wanting to get rid of the land, get rid of all the people in the land. He's wanting to get rid of their idolatry. And I think that the conquest of Jericho and Ai were military campaigns against those people, the political leaders and the armies with the power to protect wicked religions from being wiped out. And I think that's what the Canaanite conquest was intended to do. Okay. And I think, and I can even see Jim sitting there. Like there's, there's the truth that, like you said, well, we would even say like God has the prerogative 
yep. to do. Like if, yep. if this is the, – the evidence does seem to point to the things that Ryan has said. And I, but I also do believe that, that God has – it's it's God's right to mm-hmm. inflict His wrath and His and and yep. violence on on anyone who is in sin against Him. You know, and I think that's worth. Uh, every time I point this out to people, the thing I go to with the Canaanites, it is really, and I there's even a reason. The thing I go to is child sacrifice, sexual exploitation, um, you know, oppression of the poor, all these wicked things. And it is funny how I usually don't go to. Also, they um, they worshipped other gods other than Yahweh. Sure, right? Because sure. that's be- not a big deal to us. Yes, <laughs> because yeah, we can we can kind of establish more um, sympathy. When, you know, when we talk about offenses mm-hmm. against humanity, which again is a sin against God as well. But even idolatry is maybe is the biggest thing. Exactly. To God. You know yeah. what I mean? It yeah. should almost be reversed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say this one thing. I don't disagree with anything that you said, and I think that putting it in its right context is critical. Um, I'm 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 curious to know if what you were describing that happened at Jericho and AI is all that ever happened everywhere no. at all times. And even looking at the famous psalm which describes kind of a destruction that the Jewish people are hoping happens to Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um I just uh I don't know. I I think that it's good to put it in its context that it's not as um it's definitely not ethnic. I think that is, is definitely critical. It's definitely aimed primarily at mm-hmm. military outposts, that, that there is going to be all of the, I think all of that is definitely true. Um, I need to go back and look at some other, you know, instances of what yep. appear to be more of a, you know, I'm, I'm going to deal with the sin of this nation because, I mean, for example, when God comes around and he describes what he's going to do to Israel. Yep. I mean, he doesn't, and here's the good news, as long as you're under the age of 12, because that's the age of accountability, nothing bad will happen to you. Yeah. And when I judge you, I mean, no women are going to get hurt. They're going to be protected. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's good for us to have the Canaanite conquest in the right perspective, which is not, and I think cleared that up. Um, I don't know if, in my mind, that eradicates all the questions it regarding everything. And I, yeah, I don't I'm think saying, it, I'm not saying you say that. It does, I don't so. think it would. If you even realize, sure. if you even look at how the Assyrians and the Babylonians were empowered by God to treat God's own people and to punish them, there there seems to be a, a little bit of. Uh, I won't say that there's a lack of mercy, but it is violent. Yep. Even what Jesus like prophesies is going to rain down on Jerusalem in 70 AD sure, isn't sure. a pretty picture. Sure. I think that um, that we mischaracterize these three chapters to it's be genocide. something different than yeah. they are. It's not Rwanda. It's not Bosnia-Herzegovina. It's but not how that. I would respond to these three chapters is not how I would respond to every act or every incident where God would. Good. So be specific. Hey, Drew, I think you got like three minutes to, to kind of talk about the harsh penalties that exist actually in the Bible. So here's the God of grace. And if your son picks up sticks, um, then I want you on to kill the him. Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, on the Sabbath. Then I want you to kill him. Yeah. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, this is, the, this is the, the big question aside from kind of the Canaanite wars and stuff that people get is what about these harsh penalties for disobedience on the Sabbath or children and, and those things? And, and it's worth asking, but I would say the, the key to this is remembering Israel's place, specific place as the covenant people of God. And, and to remember this truth that um, Israel, going back to Genesis 12, is the people um, through which God said he was going to bless the whole world. Um, basically, Israel is the one through whom God plans to bring truth and justice and love and righteousness and forgiveness and grace 
to the entire world. And so the stakes are high that they live in obedience and display him properly. And then ultimately, obviously, the, the ultimate fruition of that blessing is Jesus coming through them. So the stakes are um, really high for them to stay true to that covenant. And, and so you go to this, this uh, story in Numbers 15 of a man picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and they find him and they stone him for that. Um, and, and I just think it's really important for us to catch here that the issue is not God has a problem with sticks, that God hates sticks, you know what I mean, or, or, or you know, picking them up or anything like that. But the issue is that you have a, a man who has said, I know what Yahweh said, and I don't care. Um, that, that regardless of what he says, this seems a petty thing to me, and so I will, I don't mind, I'm going to pick these six up. It's, it's actually interesting, I didn't even notice this till yesterday, that that passage about him picking up sticks in there and stoning comes directly after the passage about unintentional sins and what we call high-handed sins, yeah. or sins yeah. of defiance, that say, who cares what God has said, I'll do this. And, and what you have is, is God saying, like, this cannot be an attitude that is allowed to flourish or foster that says, regard who cares what Yahweh says, I'll do what I want. Um, even in this small case, if that's allowed to grow, if that's allowed to, then you realize how much can come undone in the people. And, and, and so when you have, or when you have a son who is disobedient and, and, talking about chronically disobedient, a drunkard and a glutton, as he's described in Deuteronomy 21, a young man who refuses to do anything his parents say, and, and the way we know that the, the undoing of the family structure undoes the nation, um, then there are huge consequences for the nation as a whole as they begin to, if more and more people start to take on that attitude. And, and, and by the way, it's, it's first of all, you could say, man, was that really necessary? And if you read about Israel, you see how necessary it is, how quickly they are to go to yep. rebellion and to go to the sins of the Canaanites. Uh, also, it's, it's actually only a fairly recent idea that we would say the good of the individual is more important than the good of the nation, that we would say that, it, you, know, that you shouldn't hurt, harm this guy even if his actions will eventually harm the whole community. Um, so I think that that's really important for us to be able to kind of catch and understand is, is this idea of their place in the world. One last thing I'd kind of throw on that, why we don't say, you know, uh, take my son out and stone yeah, him. Yeah, so why don't you do that, Drew? Like, to, I mean, Huddy yeah. is kind of an yeah. interesting cat. So <laughs> why why aren't you following what the Bible says, yes. Drew? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I don't think it applied to five-year-olds back then. I don't know if Israel <laughs> would have made it very far if they were anything like us today. If you if you stoned every disobedient every, five-year-old. Every five-year-old yes. boy picking up stones and yes. sticks. Yeah. yeah but, uh, You're they, not reproducing. Yes. Yeah, so when they talk about a drunkard and glutton, I assume that means we're not talking about five-year-olds. <laughs> exactly. um, you know, but, but the other thing is, um, God's people existed as a nation state back then, and that's why there were civil punishments for disobedience, because it was a nation, and, and the nation had a responsibility. By the way, there's nothing in the Bible that says, if you happen to be traveling in the land of the Hittites, and you see someone picking up sticks on the Sabbath, Get them to. throw rocks at them, right? <laughs> because the covenant isn't with the Hittites, it's, and it's not an issue of God hates, as I said, picking up sticks. It's an issue of Israel, whether or not they want to stay true to their covenant with God. And if you want to go live in the land of the Hittites and live like Hittites, that's fine. But if you want to be a part of this covenant people, now God's covenant people are no longer a nation state. They're a church, a multinational and international body. And so discipline doesn't work in civil cases anymore. We don't, we don't work like that. It is, it is at the most extreme. It is an expulsion from the people, a, a pushing out of excommunication from the church. But 
it doesn't operate like that anymore because we, we no longer operate as a nation state anymore. And I think that's significant to be able to recognize. So. Good. I mean, it, it, weirdly enough, um, nah, that's not right. Um, unsurprisingly enough, uh, a lot of what you guys have just taught today, uh, the truth about God is found in the text itself. Like, just read the text. Notice where it's found. Yeah. Think through the co- cultural context. I mean, the mm-hmm. things that we talk about in terms of how to rightly interpret and apply the biblical scriptures, we find when answering this question. So it's not, let's answer this moral, ethical dilemma outside. Of, let's think outside of scripture to uh-huh. try to figure out how God did this. The answers, what we're finding, are more and more involved actually in the text. Like, no, mm-hmm. look at the text. Look at what the text actually says. Look at what the text is actually doing. Um, and don't read into it as much. And I, w- I would say that those people who are opponents, um, who are really calling question, calling into question God's character, God's moral loving kindness, um, th- they really aren't paying attention to the text. I've, I've had very seldom like uh, people who understand or even believe the text to be true. Mm-hmm. Right, many yeah, of them yeah. doubt the doubt the historical accuracy of the text. Yeah. So, therefore, there's some other issues that are coming into play. Ryan really wants to read this. Yes, yes. Um, the other day, I was reading a uh, a book that quotes Miroslav Volf. I wasn't reading Volf's book, but he has a great quote that I thought kind of summed up what we're trying to do here, and that is to reconcile God's wrath and His love. And he said this, and and this is a man who has been through many atrocities. He's been a prisoner of war, tortured, and. And he's come very much to grips with kind of the, the redemptive side of God. And he says this, Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. And I thought that was fascinating. He said, like, I can, I can see hints of God lo- God's love as he judges and punishes, like, wickedness. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a beautiful picture of God's love, actually, and we can oftentimes mischaracterize the, his wrath to yeah. make him mean. It's a little bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, if God allowed this to continue, if God didn't judge his own people, if God didn't judge the Canaanites, we would say, what kind of moral monster do we have? So he then appropriately, rightly, perfectly responds and and does what is right and good and that helps us see what is right and good because god did it and then we accuse him yet once again of being yep. unjust and, mm-hmm. and 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 wicked and mean and all those kinds of things so you know I, I'll, I'll i'll close with this it's it's interesting that if i were to catch either ryan or drew um in a moment where they're disciplining their sons and so and i just kind of walk in on them and i hear them speaking harshly or i hear them um you know forming some kind of punishment to genuinely discipline their son and then i caricaturize that as all of what they've done and all of who they are if I did that to them or if I did that to anybody, they would be like, how dare you take a snapshot or even a few snapshots? I mean, they have little children, so I'm sure hopefully anyway, lots of discipline that afterwards Drew probably really kind of beats himself up over. Um, Drew? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but I mean, to, to literally to kind of take those snapshots and then say, this is who you are, and this is all that you are, you would say, well, A, you don't know what Huddy or Matthew did, Mm -hmm. and then B, you don't understand the amount of kindness. You don't understand the purpose for which I am. So for you to come in at that one moment in which I'm doing something in in a Walmart line where I'm speaking appropriately harsh and I'm dealing appropriately in a disciplinary way, and then to somehow
somehow caricaturize me as only that is irresponsible. How much more so with yeah. God? Boom. <laughs> Drop the mic. I'm not going to hit the mic. Steve will be mad at me. <laughs> um, so there we go. I doubt if that answers. Well, here's what I'm going to say. We're going to close with that. Drew and Ryan, probably later on today, we'll I'll have see you in a little bit. Ryan. Yeah, we'll have yes. a secret meeting, and you may hear back from us. <laughs> I may not even be in the next podcast, so who knows? You might be voted off the island. If it's that really sweet guy Scott, I'll be upset. We love you guys. 